good. Our speaker this hour is Brother Dan Owen. Dan has been married for 46 years to Cindy. Uh, they have three grown children and seven grandchildren. He has a B.A. in Bible and Biblical Languages from Oklahoma Christian, an M.A. in Greek New Testament from Harding Graduate School, and a Ph.D. in Curriculum and Instruction from Southern Illinois University. He has been the, uh, the minister at the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky for 32 years now. And uh, I can tell you beyond all of that that uh, he is one that is a wonderful preacher, an even better teacher, and maybe most of all, a great man of God. And he has been a great encouragement to me and so many other men in ministry. Uh, most of all, I love him because of the special interest that he's taken in my three boys and the way he's encouraged them. And that especially means a lot to you. So he's a man that likes to pick and cut up, but he's also one that, you know, behind all of that is a, a big heart that loves you and loves the Lord. And we're thankful to have him with us in person this week. So Dan, come and preach the word to us. Preach the word. Thank you, Corey. You're a good man. I love you, too. And all these people that I see out here, I want to say hi to all of them. Um, I know that in this lectureship, when we talk about knowing that there's the truth, the aim of this theme is a fundamental way that we view the Bible. I know that. And I realize that the unity of the church and everything else that's going on today is really based on hermeneutics. That's what it's really based on and how we go about interpreting the Bible, looking at the Bible, what we think the Bible is. <clears throat> is the Bible the verbally inspired Word of God sent from heaven to the apostles and prophets? Is it literally the very Word of, of God or is it not? And I know that's at least part of what the theme of this uh, lectureship is supposed to be about. Um, I know that it's also tempting to place modern templates on our discussions and direct our discussions based on modern templates. Is there subjective truth or objective truth? Uh, can truth be known? These are philosophical questions, and they often take us in directions that the scriptures did not intend. I don't want to put an artificial template on top of the Gospel of John and tell you something that you would like to hear today based on an artificial template. I would like to tell you as much as I can, uh, based on about 40 years of digging into the Gospel of John, of what I really believe the Holy Spirit through the Gospel of John is trying to say about truth. Um, the Gospel of John is totally different than the synoptics. It is a totally another animal. If you try to approach the Gospel of John like you approach the synoptics, you're barking up the wrong tree. Uh, John, in his uh, later life, moved to Asia. And John spent uh, the last two or three decades of his life in Asia, headquartered in Ephesus. When Domitian came to power in A.D. 81, John was... Uh, 
uh, a target because he preached Jesus and the kingship of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And during the latter part of Domitian's reign, John was exiled to the island of Patmos. And after Domitian died in AD 96, he was released from the island of Patmos and came back to Ephesus to live in Ephesus, even into the reign of Trajan in the second century. John, the apostle, was the only apostle that was still alive. Ephesus is not Palestine. Ephesus was a very uh, pagan, very cosmopolitan, very uh, different culture than was um, Palestine. And John wrote this gospel to people of of Greek and pagan assumptions. And he was trying to come at people that were used to a Platonist uh, philosophy. And he was trying to present Jesus in a way that they would grasp Jesus and was trying to explain to them who Jesus is. Now, the Gospel of John is subtle. It's never on just the surface level. There's the surface level, and then there's something else that he's trying to point at that's greater than the surface level. Um, What is truth? This question was asked by Pilate in John 18, and I can just see Pilate putting his face in his hands, and he's got these Jews bringing Jesus to him accusing Jesus of insurrection and and he's got Jesus that he can't figure out and the question they argue over in John 18 is are you a king? Are you a king then? Are you a king? And Jesus finally says yes, you're saying it rightly that I'm a king but to this end I was born and to this end I came into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice and Pilate goes what is the truth? But Pilate wasn't thinking about syllogisms when he put his face in hands, I picture, and said, what is the truth? That's not what he was thinking about. What does the Gospel of John intend to tell us about truth? Well, listen to these questions that appear throughout the Gospel of John that are kind of pointing us to the truth. How can a man be born when he's old? Is there some truth that John wants to tell us behind that? What are you seeking? Jesus said to two of the disciples of John, what are you seeking? Well, what are you seeking? Are you seeking to win an argument today? Are you seeking to understand what John, what Jesus wants us to know about the truth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The Samaritan woman. Can this be the the Messiah? He asked the lame man in John 5, in John 5, verse 6, Hey, do you want to get well? Let that ring in your ears for a minute. Do you want to get well? The blind man in, in John 9, the question is asked, Who opened your eyes? Is there truth behind that question? Who opened your eyes? Or, you know, good old Caiaphas, who was not a good man, and it was a thrill to go to his house in the dungeon underneath it in in Israel, but he says, don't you people know that it is better for you that one man should die and that the whole nation should not perish? 
Is there something behind that question that speaks more to the reader of the Gospel of John than just what Caiaphas was asking the Sanhedrin court? You see, the strategic questions that are all through the Gospel of John are pointing us, every single question is pointing us to the truth. Shall I crucify your king? Just think about that for just a minute. Do you love me more than these? Think about the implications of that question, not just from Jesus to Simon Peter, but from John the Apostle to uh, all of us. See? You know, what is the truth? So here's Jesus, and he's at the end of this journey almost, and Pilate is, is running him through the interrogation, and Pilate says, what's the truth? And Jesus said, the very reason I came was to bear witness to the truth. People in today's world would answer Pilate's question in many different ways. Some would really want to zero in on there is empirically verifiable truth. You know, if you do the scientific method and if you apply certain things in the physical realm, you can find truth. You know, two plus two is four. What, how do you describe the nucleus of a cell? All that kind of stuff. And some would want to talk about truth in the physical universe. There's assumptions behind that, you know, that the only way to find truth is by physical things. That's called philosophical materialism. But, of course, the people who read John were not materialists. They believed in the spiritual realm. Some today would speak of existential truth. My truth versus your truth and how I feel about something in the moment. That's my truth, as if truth is not something that we can all share. Some uh, today in the church would speak of societal consensus as the truth. The truth is what society has agreed on at this point in time. What is truth, says Pilate? But John's reflections inspired by the Holy Spirit are not about a modern philosophical argument about objective versus subjective truth. His gospel is an attempt to convince a pagan world filled with ancient superstitions and ancient philosophies that the Creator has revealed himself to mankind through the incarnation of the Logos. The Word, the Logos, became flesh and lived among us for a while. And we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. To a people who believed in the spiritual realm, John uses a series of signs in the book of John to tell spiritual truths about Jesus. These signs, as John uses the word sign, a lot of times we think sign equals miracle, not in the Gospel of John. The word sign in the Gospel of John means a symbolic action that is designed to teach a spiritual lesson. That symbolic action may or may not be a miracle, but that's not the point. It is a symbolic action like the prophets of the Old Testament. Remember when Ezekiel played army and everything and made the little city of Jerusalem and God said, this is a sign. What did that mean? Was it a miracle? No, but it was a symbolized way of trying to tell you something or teaching you something. What about in Isaiah 20 when old Isaiah had to go around naked and barefoot for 
three years. That was, well, it might have been a miracle, but it was a, it was a sign. And it meant something to the people that there was going to be captivity. It wasn't a miracle, but it was a sign. The Hebrew word oath, O-T-H, means a symbolic prophetic action designed to teach a spiritual lesson. In the Gospel of John, not in Matthew, not in Mark, not in Luke, but in the Gospel of John, that's what the signs are meant to be. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the truth referenced in John is not about how the body works, the human body. It's not about how chemicals react. It's not about the distance between the stars. It's not about the makeup of DNA. This truth is more fundamental about the creator of all things, about the nature of mankind and the relationship which is possible between God and man only through Jesus Christ. So, how do we learn the truth from John's gospel? Well, one of the ways we learn the truth from John's gospel is through testimony or through witnesses. The word martus or marturia, martureo, witness, testify, is a thematic word throughout the gospel of John. From the very beginning of the gospel, John 1 verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness, see, so that all might believe. He came, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light so that everyone might, but John was pointing his finger and he was pointing his finger at Jesus. And he said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then later in John 1, 34, he says, he who has seen has borne witness and, that, and we know that it's true that Jesus is the Son of God. That's because he saw the Holy Spirit. So here's John pointing at Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. Notice who he's got his crosshairs on. Jesus. Then, you know, you've got good old Nathaniel who asked the question, can any... But he, anything good come out of Nazareth. And, uh, and Jesus talks with him and, and tells him some things that he saw. And then Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then you've got good old Nicodemus coming and pointing at Jesus and saying, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do these signs that you're doing unless God is with him. Then you got the woman at the well in chapter 4. And the woman at the well, oh, what are you doing asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Jesus says, if you knew who I was, if you knew the gift of God and who I am, you would have asked me and I would have given to you living water. And she, he finally gets her to talk about her personal life and she said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then he talks to her a little bit more and she runs away to the village of Sychar and says, can this be the Messiah? Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Pointing at Jesus. Then the village comes out and they say to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that that guy is the savior of the world. Then you get to chapter five and. The five porticos and the pool and all these sick people lying around. This one guy been sick 38 years and Jesus comes up to him and asks that question. Do you want to get well? 
And see, we want to leave it there like we do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and just say, oh, this was a sick guy. No, no, no. In the Gospel of John, that question goes deeper, and it's going from not just the lame man to Jesus, or to Jesus to the lame man, but it's going from Jesus to all the readers of the Gospel. He's saying to the readers of the Gospel, do you want to get well? Well, what does that imply? That implies that right now you're what? You're sick. All of us are sick. You want the truth from the Gospel of John? All of us are sick. And if you want to get well... There's only one person that can make you well. There's only one physician that can make you well. And throughout that account, the people keep asking the man, how'd you get well? Who made you well? What did this guy do to make you well? And he kept pointing his finger to Jesus and said, that guy made me well. And Jesus said, you go and sin no more so that a worse fate may not befall you. What's the point? We're all deathly sick in sin. And that's our worst problem, and only Jesus can make us well. See? So, um, this, this idea of witnesses in John chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says, Look, if I was the only one bearing witness to myself, then my witness wouldn't be true. You know, Deuteronomy 19 established the truth by two or three witnesses. You don't get two or three witnesses in the Gospel of John. You get buku witnesses in the Gospel of John. And every single one of them is pointing that finger in one spot. Guess where? Jesus. They're bearing witness to Jesus. And so in that passage in John 5, uh, Jesus bore witness to himself. John the Baptist bore witness to him. The Father bore witness. The Scriptures bore witness. See, all these different people bore witness. And so do they throughout the Gospel of John. Um, you get to chapter 7 and 8, which have an interesting function in the Gospel of John. By the time you get to chapter 7, you've had several signs and, and, and people are talking about Jesus. So chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem. And all these people have gathered for the feast and all these people are throwing opinions up in the air about Jesus. Um, he's a good man. People say, no, 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 he's not. He's deceiving the crowd. Some people say, well, he's, he's oppressed by the devil. He's, he's demon-possessed. And, and others say, no, he's a sinner. And others say, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this man does? But in John 7.24, you need to draw a circle around John 7.24. In the midst of all these pros and cons, <clears throat> Jesus looks at that crowd and said, do not judge by appearances, judge righteous judgment. He's not talking about judging your neighbor. He's not talking about Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. He's saying to them in the context of the Gospel of John, when you make a decision about Jesus, you better judge righteous judgment because that's the one single most important decision you'll ever make in your whole existence. So when you look toward Jesus, you better make the right choice. So what is truth? Well, John uses witnesses. In fact, in John 19.35, Jesus is on the cross, you know, and they don't break his legs and They poke him in the side and out comes the blood and water and 
the disciple whom Jesus loved gets splattered there at the foot of the cross. And he says, now, he that has seen it has borne witness. And we know that his testimony is true so that you may believe. See? And then when you end the Gospel of John, and you get to John 21, 24, after Jesus presses Peter, you know, and says, do you love me? Well, I like you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know, I, I like you, Lord. You know, tend my sheep. Um, do you even like me? Jesus, that hurts my feelings that you changed your question the third time. Of course I like you. Show me something, Peter. You know, follow me. And then John says, this is the disciple that bears witness to these things and wrote these things. Notice his term. He bears witness to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. The gospel of John is a testimony. In fact, it's swept up into a pile, multiple testimonies. And all of those testimonies point to one individual, Jesus. What is truth, says Pilate? Well, according to John, the truth is Jesus. Now, Jesus' teachings were truth. Um, he that comes from God speaks the words of God. John three thirty four. My teaching isn't mine, but his who sent me. John seven sixteen. Um, I did not speak from myself, but the Father who sent me. He's the one that commands me what to say and what to speak. John twelve forty nine. Uh, Jesus spoke the truth. He talks in John eight forty about uh, people that didn't believe on him, even though that he told them the truth which we, he had heard from God. And then Jesus, who is himself the truth, he said. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. But Jesus, what kind of stuff am, am I going to know from your word? It's the truth. You mean like you're the good shepherd and I'm one of the sheep? If I, you know, is that the truth? Is that the see in John? You got to get this in John. There's light with a little L. And then there's light with a capital L. See, there's water with a little W. And then there's the living water with a big fat W. There's bread with a little B. And then there's the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, that's what John's doing. Matthew's not doing that. Mark's not doing that. Luke's not doing that. John is doing this. And he's doing this very well, especially for the audience that, that he's trying to reach. Now, one of our problems in grasping the gospel of John is we're Western literalists. And because we're Western secularized literalists, we can't see what John is trying to do in that gospel. See, I'm, I'm all for it. Yes, I believe in ob objective truth. Yes, I believe that Jesus literally came in the flesh. Yes, I believe there's literal commands of Jesus and the apostles we have to obey. But we can't understand John by just putting that template on top of it. If we're going to really read the powerful gospel of John and see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The truth in John is what we practice. John 3 Verse 21, he who practices the truth comes to the light 
and his works are made manifest that they are wrought in God. Uh, the spirit of truth is a term used in John and 1 John for the Holy Spirit who continued to reveal the truth that Jesus brought uh, to his apostles. So, Jesus' words, his teaching, are the truth. What is the truth? Let me try to illustrate this in, in a few minutes that we have left. I believe that what the Gospel of John is trying to show us is not micro-truth, not the truth about little things, but he's trying to give us the, the, the locus of macro-truth. What is the truth with a capital T that makes sense out of everything? Every little other part, every little other thing, the totality of the universe. What is the one capital T truth that makes sense of it all? Say, what is that? Well, that's Jesus. If, if you could think some of you are hunters and it's, it's hunting season and, you know, you're sighting in your scopes and your rifles and everything. So picture us, you know, with our scopes and we're trying to find truth. But if you want to know the truth, the thing that encompasses everything, the, the crosshairs are on one person. One. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. What is truth? The truth is that the Logos became flesh and lived among us, and we beheld his glory. Now, what do you see when you see his glory? He's not talking about seeing with your eyeballs. He's talking about seeing with this. We beheld, we came to understand, we came to appreciate his glory. In 1 John, you know, that which existed from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have beheld. What's the difference between seeing with our eyes and beholding? Seeing with our eyes is way different than comprehending, than understanding, than grasping, than having an insight that hits us in the in the soul of, oh yeah, I get this. This is who Jesus is. That's what it means when it says they beheld his glory. See, they started to get who Jesus really is. So what is the truth? The truth is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Amen. Now you go back to Exodus twelve forty six, cooking instructions. <laughs> cooking instructions, brothers. You get that woolly lamb and you slit his throat. What kind of lamb? A woolly, stinky lamb. You get him, you, you feed him, you slit his throat, you put the blood on the doorposts, and you roast him. And while you're roasting him, do not break his bones. Cooking instructions. But what's the spiritual truth? The spiritual truth is that there was that Lamb of God with a little L. And now there's the true capital L Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that's why cooking instructions in Exodus 12, 46 was spiritually fulfilled in Jesus because he's the true Lamb of God. Notice in the Gospel of John terms like true bread, true light. What does that mean? That means there's light, but then there's true light. And that's the level on which the Gospel of John is trying to talk to us. What's the truth? John 1, what is it, 51 or somewhere around there? You will see 
the Son of Man, and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on him. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob was sleeping on the stone. God was at the top of the ladder. Jacob was at the bottom of the ladder. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What's it? Well, the ladder. What's the truth? Jesus is Jacob's ladder. God is at the top. Man is at the bottom. The only way God and man can connect is guess how? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's not Matthew. Matthew is like dragnet. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> you know, Mark is like dragnet, dragnet, just the facts. Luke is pretty much that way, too. They're giving us the facts. John gives us facts, too, but John is not just interested in the facts. He's interested in the spiritual meaning of the facts. Say, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Who is Jesus? What's the truth? He's the good wine that God has saved to last. That's who Jesus is. Chapter 2. Who's Jesus? He's the destroyer of that old temple. In one act, through his death and resurrection, he destroyed that old temple and that old system. And he built a brand new one. And what does he say about it? It's the temple of his body. Think about that on more than one level for a second. He's the destroyer of the old temple, the builder of the new. Who's Jesus? What's the truth? He's the bringer of new birth. Who's Jesus? He's the giver of living water. What does that say about every soul on earth? We're all what, church? We're thirsty. We're desperately dry. We are thirsty. There's only one source of capital W, water, and that's Jesus. Jesus gave her water. He gave her that living, lasting water. Water. And it was not from the well, see? On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As it is written, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said concerning the Holy Spirit, that those who believe on him were to receive, but the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus is not yet glorified. Where do you get the living water of the Holy Spirit for your life? You get it from Jesus. That's the truth. Amen. All human beings need to know that truth. You're not going to argue that in a syllogism. That is a fact of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus does uh, for you and me. Who's Jesus? Like we said in chapter 5, he's the great physician. We're all sick. He's the only one that can make us well. Do you want to get well? You know, when I preach this to people, it hits them right in the soul. They are sick, and they know they're sick, and they know they need to be made well. And they need to know that there's only one being that can make them well, and that's Jesus. Right? Amen. Uh, chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You know, you got the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there's only one gospel that makes something out of that. And that's John. John gives you the sign if you go through the gospel. He gives you the sign. By the way, in... I'm backing up for a minute because I'm thinking of this more like a class than a sermon. But in John 2, about the cleansing of the temple, what is it about? Somewhere around 18 or 19, I can't remember. They ask Jesus after he drives out all the money changers and stuff. If you look at the Greek text, they say, what sign are you doing? 
in that you are, what sign are you showing us in that you are doing these things? They understand that the cleansing of the temple is a sign. It's not a miracle, it's a sign. What are you trying to say by this action? And Jesus simply says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it. And they're going, what are you talking about? It took 46 years for Herod the Great and all of his labors to to build this thing. You're going to raise a new temple in three days? And, you know, there's a scripture in there, too. And it's in verse 17. Zeal for your house shall consume me. But a little bit later, about verse 20 through 22, John says, you know, after the resurrection, his disciples understood two things. They understood the scripture. That's that psalm zeal for your house shall consume me your house is god's temple he was very zealous for god's temple what temple they understood the scripture but they also understood the word that jesus had spoken what word destroy this temple in three days i'll build it they understood that he was zealous to build the temple of his body that's the church folks and he built the church by his death and resurrection See, so he was the destroyer of the old, the builder of the new. That's the truth. Uh, Who is Jesus? Uh, John chapter uh, 9. Jesus comes to this guy. He's been blind from birth. If you read the whole chapter, by the way, ministers, preachers, this is supposed to be for preachers. We've got to learn to wrap our minds around larger blocks of Scripture. Because... To demonstrate throughout a book what's going on and what's happening and how all of this fits together, we need to learn how to do that more and not just have a Sunday school class on one passage and then act like the next chapter is totally unrelated and we're doing a whole different thing. This is all woven together as a whole, see? And without seeing the whole, you can't see the parts like the parts need to be seen. The parts are only understood as they fit into the whole. Does that make any sense? Okay, so here we are in John chapter 9, and he sees this man blind from birth. And, uh, you know, who sinned and all that stuff. Jesus said, neither one, but so that, you know, God may be glorified or the glory of God might be seen through him. How do you see Jesus's glory through that? Well, right before Jesus spit on the ground, he looked at the blind guy and he said, while I am in the world, John 9 verse 5, I am the light of the world. Now, just let that gel. If Jesus is the light of the world, where does that leave everybody in the world without Jesus? They're in darkness. If Jesus is about to make a blind man see, and after the blind man gets healed, everybody's asking him, just like chapter 6 when they said to the lame man, who made you well? How did he make you well? Who made you well? Everybody and their cousins saying, who opened your eyes? Who opened your eyes? How were your eyes open? Who opened your eyes? And the guy kept saying, Jesus. Open my eyes. And if you get to the end of the chapter there in the last two or three verses, the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, Are you saying that we are blind? (laughs) Yes. Everybody is blind. Everybody. Until the light, capital L of the world, opens their eyes. That's the truth, brothers and sisters. That's the truth, not some argument we want to have philosophically. That is the truth, that the Gospel of John. But Jesus is the thing that makes sense out of everything else. Every person in every country, of every culture, of every tribe, of every language is blind until Jesus 
opens their eyes because he is the light uh, that enlightens every man that was coming into the world. John chapter uh, 1 verse 9. The truth is that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and they want to make him king. And then Jesus leaves and then they follow him across the lake and they want some more of those good old hot buttered rolls, <laughs> whatever kind of bread he made. And Jesus says to them, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food, capital F, that remains until eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give you. And they say, well, what work do you want us to do so that you can pay us some more bread? You know, and Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe the one who... God sent. And so John uh, 6, 35 is the point of John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever keeps on coming to me will never hunger. Whoever keeps on trusting in me will never thirst. Brothers, sisters, that is the truth. That's the truth. Pilate was so far removed from that. I want to know if you're causing trouble. I want to know if you're making an insurrection. I want to know if you claim to be king. But the truth is that Jesus is the bread of life and everybody's starving. And the only thing that will fill the hole in your soul is Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's the truth. Jesus is the good shepherd of our souls. That's the truth. Jesus is the door. We've got to go in through the door to be safe. We've got to go out through the door to find pasture. But without the door, we're not going to be safe and we're not going to find spiritual food. Jesus is the door. That is the truth. All right? Isn't it interesting how that in, in so many ways, in so many cases, we try to create templates based on our modern issues, whatever those issues are. And then we try to come and look at God's inspired word and we try to lay those templates on top of scripture and answer our own questions that we have preconceived instead of just backing off and asking the scripture from start to finish. Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to really say to us about Jesus? Preach. Jesus is the truth. You can't make sense out of your life. You can't make sense out of your marriage. You can't make sense out of why you're even born. You can't make sense out of all the suffering in the world. You can't make sense out of, out of the events that happen on the world stage. You can't make sense out of anything macro apart from Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Paul said it a different way that, that he summed up everything. He brought everything to a head. In Jesus Christ. So, I am the truth. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. I hope that uh, you've gotten something out of this. I hope it'll challenge you to, to uh, maybe see some other things in the Gospel of John. God bless you. Wasn't that awesome? Uh, I've got to put this plug in. All of these guys in the green shirt get that for eight weeks out of the Gospel of John with him. What a blessing it is to have uh, Dan here with us. What a great way 
to start this morning of our lectures, right? Yes, sir. One of the things I love about Dan is the way that he can see those those threads that run through uh, Scripture. A couple announcements that we have for you before we dismiss. Uh, first of all, um, uh, remember that there are lectureship books for purchase up in the foyer as well as books from several of our speakers. As you're going around the building today, be looking for the guys in the green shirts. If you, uh, This is a complicated building to, uh, to navigate at times. If you're having trouble, look for one of those guys or ladies, and they will be glad to help you get to the destination that you're wanting to. Uh, also, a reminder that some of the sessions, as we dismiss here in a few moments, may not be done yet, so let's be courteous as we uh, go throughout the building. Uh, just a reminder also, the next uh, hour of our lectures, Dan will be upstairs in the auditorium. Uh, Andy Williams will be in BRC1. Uh, Eric Owens will be here in the fellowship room, and Corey Waddell will be in BRC2, which is downstairs in the classrooms of the school building. Let's all bow in prayer, and we will be dismissed. Our Father, we're grateful for your love and mercy and grace in our lives. We're thankful for the truth that you have shown us in Jesus. We pray that we would follow him and that we would be willing to tell everyone that we meet about your love and grace that's shown through him. Thank you, Father, for Dan, and thank you for this excellent lesson that we've heard. Help us to not hold it within us, but share it with all that we meet. Thank you for the relationships that we have together and with you because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.